0: Hello, and welcome to the Subvert podcast for activist citizens. I'm your host, Mehran Kilili, and today we're looking at disruptive protest. We're entering a difficult winter here in Europe with a cost of living crisis and an escalating war in Ukraine. Analysts are predicting a season of activism and civil unrest. So now is a good time to look at the kinds of tactics that force you to pick a side. My guest is Miriam Meyer a young German activist with the environmental group Last Generation, and someone who's been getting arrested full-time for blocking busy German motorways. Why is she doing this? Well, to get her government to act on climate change and say yes to some simple demands that the group is putting forward. I think this interview is interesting for a few reasons. There's the usual best practice on how this group organises, trains and how they understand communication, because I think this is really a group that does get it. But it's also very refreshing to hear Miriam explain the climate crisis in her own words. She's 30 years old, and the rage she feels against the establishment for failing to protect us all is palpable. Something similar must be going on in the minds of millions of young people. I also challenged Miriam on the group's tactics. I mean, literally, they are creating traffic jams, stopping people from getting to work. Is this really the right way to go? And I put forward the idea that activism itself, and especially climate activism, is often seen as an elite pursuit. And she gave me some really thoughtful answers that I think we can all learn from. If you want to get in touch, the email address is podcastsubvert.org. That's S U B V R T.org. And the show notes are available at www.subvert.org slash podcast. And while you're there, please be sure to subscribe to the newsletter too, so you don't miss a thing. Okay. Let's get to it.
1: I'm Miriam. I'm 30 years old. And since the beginning of this year, I am part of the last generation in Germany. We are a climate group that is blocking roads, mostly German highways and getting arrested a lot. So I'm at the moment full time doing that.
0: Gosh, full time getting arrested. That sounds <laughs> that's crazy. Um, okay. Can you explain a little bit the climate picture? I mean, if I just woke up from a long cryogenic sleep, what would you tell me about the current situation that you're responding to now with your activism?
1: Yeah, the current situation is pretty bad. Like, I remember when I learned it in school, in primary school, I learned about climate change and the greenhouse effect. And I was like, oh, that sounds like a problem, but surely you'll handle that and surely I'll be dead long before these consequences will actually happen. And now we're seeing, oh shit, we didn't act. We didn't act accordingly at all. And it's not not changing. And I'm just, like, what is happening around me? It feels, it feels insane that we are not taking this serious and that we are not acting accordingly. So we have one German climate scientist who says, it's like we are putting all our children into a global school bus that will crash with a likelihood of 98%. So that's the situation we are in. That's where I am completely panicking. Weirdly, I see people around me and I see politics not panicking, even though science is telling us to. I see people dying all over the planet. We had people die in Germany last year. We had a flood. 180 people died here in Germany. And I thought that will be the point where we in Germany wake up and see, oh, we have to act. This is actually hitting us now and not just people far away, but we're still not doing that. We are still looking for new fossil fuel infrastructure. We are still considering to drill for new oil in the North Sea. This is just crazy. There are so many crazy things going on and I, yeah, I can't sit at home anymore and just watch that. It's just, it's, yeah, it's really, it's a really desperate situation.
0: So what do you say to the various agreements, climate pledges, etc., that have been made by governments, uh, especially over the last few years on climate change?
1: In Germany, we had a one climate package. We had the Fridays for Future movement that was very big in Germany we had like 1.4 million people on the streets on one single day. And after that, we had a climate package from the government that was actually against our constitution. So we actually had our constitutional court say that's against the German constitution. That's not doing enough. So that's what we got with peaceful demonstrations. We are still peaceful, but we have to heighten the pressure somehow because apparently just marching the streets wasn't enough. Then we have the Paris Agreement, which said, okay, we should reach 1.5 degrees or 2 degrees at most. And we just see that we're not doing that. Like we are at 1.2 degrees now. We will reach 1.5 degrees in 2026 or 2030. And our German government is saying we will be carbon neutral in 2045. So it's just, it does work out. Our politics do not correspond with physics at the moment.
0: Your group, Let's the Generation, well, the group that you're a part of, what are they asking of the German government?
1: We have an international network, but the campaigns are in each country. They're a little different, and it always depends on what that country is doing. So for us, at the moment, our demand is that uh, our chancellor, who wanted to become a climate chancellor before he got elected, should stop even considering getting new oil out of the North Sea. Because we think that's like the craziest idea ever. And instead we have to do things to save oil. To not use as much oil. And we want them to do like the easiest things. To have public transportation free. That's like an easy step. Of course it costs some money. But it's an easy step to take. And it will save oil. And to have a speed limit all over Germany. Because at the moment we are burning loads of fossil fuels with our cars. And a speed limit would just help make it much less so these are easy steps that we could take instead of drilling for new oil
0: a speed limit uh i mean presumably that would depend on which roads so have you done the thinking around that proposal i mean are you asking for a reduction in i don't know take 10 kilometers an hour off all the speed limit signs or what what are you asking for (laughs) it
1: would it would be more general so it would be a certain speed limit for highways one for like big roads between cities and one within cities and villages. So it would be like three different speed limits that we would have all over the country. And then, of course, there would be some areas where you already have to go slower than that. So, So it would actually be a much easier system than at the moment.
0: Tell me a little bit about the tactics that you're putting into play in order to get these demands met. They're a little controversial and a little risky, but... What we've seen so far is, in a relatively short space of time, quite effective in terms of getting attention.
1: Our basic idea is we cannot be ignored. We just don't have the time. We have two to three years to get this climate situation under control, so we can't be ignorable. We have to disturb ordinary people. That's what people really don't like about us because we are blocking highways, so we are not blocking politicians. We are just blocking random people. But what that does is it gives us so much attention because all of these people have to either be angry at us or support us, but we don't have like neutral bystanders. That just doesn't happen when you sit on the highway. So yeah, we've been very successful in getting a lot of press, getting politics, discussing about us. Of course, a lot about how we do it, but also about what we ask them to do. But it takes high risk from all the people involved.
0: Mm. So, But take me through what literally what you're doing. I mean, you sit in front of cars, super gluing your hands to the asphalt so you can't be removed. Explain a bit about the playbook around that.
1: Yeah, okay. So the playbook is we have small groups of people who get a certain coordinates for a place. We kind of try to coordinate all our actions so that we can be most effective. And then usually we do it in the morning so when all the people want to go to work. And we take highway exits. In Berlin, we have a highway right through the city. So there are a lot of highway exits all throughout Berlin. And they are usually just traffic lights at the end of that. So we wait for the cars to have red and they have to wait. And then we go on, we put on our orange vests and we take out our banners. We stand in front of the cars. And then it depends on how aggressive the cars are. So. As soon as we see that a car is like coming too close or someone is getting out of the car and coming close, we will all just sit down to de-escalate the situation. And then we'll just sit there, try to de-escalate as much as we can. Oh, well, we get sorry,
0: you, you, you'll, you'll sit down in front of the car that's trying to move forward to de-escalate? Yes. Okay. It
1: sounds weird, but it works. So if I'm I'm standing in front of a car, I've I've tested this basically. So if I'm standing in front of a car, the car thinks, well, she can go out of the way. She can move. So it will drive slowly towards me and try to get me to move out of the way. But as soon as I sit down, the car is like, yeah, she's not going to move. Running people over is still not like pulling us off the streets is one thing, but running us over is another thing. So fortunately that hasn't happened too much. We had one, one girl pushed by a car she was still standing and couldn't Mm. really get out of the way, but she's fine. So as soon as I sit down, I noticed that the cars are like getting really frustrated, but they're stopping. That's, that's just, it works. And then also if, if people try to attack you, it's really deescalating. If you sit down, they, they are less likely to like hit you or anything because you're suddenly out of their direct reach and, uh. I can see that you're not fighting back. You're not aggressive towards them, so it really helps.
0: But where does the super glue come in? because you you just say you you sit down immediately in front of the cars as soon as there's a red light. How do you have time to super glue yourself to the asphalt? or is that in is that a different tactic?
1: So that's what we do when the police arrives. So we have to be really quick with that because the police also, of course, kind of know when we will do that. So they will try to get us before we can glue ourselves. Yeah, we just, for safety reasons, usually we wait for the police to come because they won't pull us off if we are glued. Well, they sometimes do, but...
0: Because it's because not, it will rip your skin.
1: It won't rip your skin off. It's just your hand will really burn for hours. So, yeah, if they rip you off, you'll just have a completely red hand and it will just burn. Yeah, so we do that as soon as the police arrive. So you will just see all of us, except for some people who are leaving an emergency passage so some people will just sit there and not glue themselves so if an, there's an emergency those people can get up and the rest will glue themselves just put super glue on the hand put it on the street at the moment the streets are really hot so that's mm. a challenge and then mm. as soon as we are glued we're basically set like that's then the police takes over
0: this tactic of blocking roads just been a few months explain the timeline a bit yeah
1: yeah, so we started blocking roads actually with a different demand at the end of January. That was our first campaign where we blocked roads. Before that, we had a hunger strike. So we had some people who were in hunger strike before the elections. And their demand was to get a conversation, public conversation with the candidates. And The schedule of existed. elections
0: in Germany um, for, the, for the chancellor and yeah. Olaf Scholz ended up winning it. Go on. Yeah,
1: and after the election, he had to talk with them for an hour and it's... Uh, Yeah, it's a public recording. It was live streamed and everything. Right, Um, And those people then went all over Germany and gave talks. And that's how I joined the campaign. And then in the end of January, we started with blocking highways.
0: So those two people who were hunger striking, he spoke with them for an hour. It was a public meeting. What was the conclusion from that?
1: For me personally, the the conclusion was that Olaf Scholz is not going to save us, like it was so clear that he, either he hasn't realized the situation we are in or he just doesn't want to deal with it. I don't know. It's it's really hard for me to grasp because I feel like mm. also for him as a chancellor, just for his personal benefit, it would be nice to not have a climate catastrophe happen. Mm. Like it's, I don't really get why he's not ready to deal with it. But it was just so clear that he thinks that we are just fanatics and...
0: Um, yeah. Yes, and, and he certainly doesn't approve of these tactics. About a month ago, he compared climate activists to Nazis.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that was a nice moment. Yeah, I think that was another moment where I was like, okay, he is definitely not the climate chancellor that he promised us he would be. Mm. Like, I, I never had much hope because, yeah, I know what he <laughs> did before he became chancellor and it was not very promising. But at the same time, I feel like, it at least showed us that we are really annoying him, like we are at least mm. succeeding in getting to him somehow. So that was nice.
0: And, and I guess that kind of energized your group when they heard that. Explain to me the reactions so far, the roadblocks. What about the institutions? What about decision makers? What have they said so far about these protests? How have they reacted?
1: It depends. So in the First phase in general, we had some people at the beginning from the Green Party approving of it. And then they got a lot of hate for that and they took it back. <laughs> but now a few days ago, we had the mayor of the district, the district of Berlin, in which our blockade was, come by actually and give us her solidarity. And now the, the mayor of all of Berlin is already <laughs> against that. So we already succeeded in a lot of debate. Um, yeah the police and the justice system are just kind of overwhelmed like they they are just not keeping up anymore. I've barely received any letters from what I did back in February, so it will, it will take ages for them to like catch up with the paperwork oh. and everything
0: I've read some of the coverage. there's various narratives, and i I'd like your reaction. The first is that that these young climate activists think that they know better than a democratically elected government and they should be doing something else. What would you respond to that?
1: Well, first of all, we're not that young. We we have an age plan for now since since yesterday. um, We had a 12 year old on the road and our oldest is 73. So we have quite an age group, just something for everyone. The 73 year old does it for his grandkids. So I forgot the rest of the question.
0: We should be leaving this to our democratically elected government who is aware of the problems of climate change and we're giving them the the power through our democracy to handle this problem that affects us all.
1: Yeah, and I wish that would work. We still want to stay within democracy with all our demands and everything. So there's not any point where we are like, let's just do what we say. But we can just see that even though we have a democracy and we have elected our leaders, They're not doing their basic job. Their basic job is to protect us. Their basic job is to make sure that we are fine, that we don't have a hunger crisis, that we don't have people dying from storms or floods, that we don't have wars. We can see them not doing their basic job. And that's where I feel like, okay, that we have to stand up. We can't just watch and we can't wait four years for the next election and hope that that will make it better. It doesn't matter which party is in the government. That's their basic job. Like the Green Party, okay. of course, but also the other parties have to protect us. That's
0: well, yeah. the, the other criticism that's often leveled at climate activists, and it's it's resurfaced again in reaction to the, the protest that you're engaging in now, is that these are working people that you're blocking from getting to work. They could be pregnant women trying to get to the hospital, and this kind of protest, and if it hasn't yet, you've been lucky, but it, it could really negatively affect people. So how would you react to that?
1: Yeah, there's always a risk. Like we, we are trying to make this as safe as possible. We don't want to endanger anyone. So that's why we always have a way for emergencies to get through. Of course, the cars and the traffic jam also have to make a way for them to get through, but that's what they should do anyways. And if that's so dangerous, then we should have a system that has makes sure that there are no traffic jams in Germany. Because we are not the major cause of traffic jams in Germany. <laughs> We're just adding a flu. So for me, it's really hard to sit on the street. It's really hard for me to tell people no when they want to get through. If they're angry, I can deal with it better. If they are desperate, it's really tough. I feel very sorry for every person I'm blocking there. I just don't see any other way. And the climate crisis is not going to choose who it will hit, it's it's like it's also going to hit all of us at random, so.
0: Let me just take the devil's advocate position a a little bit here, it's fair what you say but to the person that's trying to get through to the hospital, perhaps in a car, not an ambulance uh, further back from the front where you guys are and they're just sitting there beeping the horn, what would you say to them? If that were to happen uh, what would your reaction be? Just that I'm very sorry,
1: that's We are trying everything for that not to happen. And I really hope we won't ever hurt anyone with our protest. I don't see any other way. It's just, I don't see any way where I can have the same effect, the same impact without having some risk, without disturbing random people. I wish we had another way.
0: Okay. Now I'm looking at uh, some statistics. September 2021, YouGov, this is in Britain, but they were asking people their opinion on Extinction Rebellion, the Climate Action Group there. And 49% were fairly negative or very negative of Extinction Rebellion. Do you believe that it's strategic to polarise people against activists like this? I mean, if they, it's one thing to say that they are talking about us, and that's a good thing. But if they're talking about you in a way which is like, God, I, these people just just make me insane. Is that really going to change hearts and minds with regard to the climate crisis?
1: The thing is, they they are, of course, a lot of people are against us, against our methods, against what we do. But what we can also see is that not many people are against our demands. So what we hear a lot on the streets is, yeah, that's fine what you're asking for, but not in this way. They they hate the way we do it, but they don't hate what we want. And I don't think anyone, well, there might be someone who will just say, just because they want this and I don't like them now, I'm against it. <laughs> but usually what we can see is that there's a lot of support for our demands, even though there's not for our methods. And in yeah. the end, that's what matters. It, it doesn't matter if they hate us. I mean, of course, it's horrible. Like, I, I don't read comments anywhere, but... as as long as they agree with the demands, as long as they discuss our demands as well.
0: Well, and that is something that in all the coverage I've read so far on this, your demands are always there. I mean, they're forced to explain what it is that these people want. So it certainly is a platform to to present your demands. You've said that people are willing to go to prison for this. That is an enormous burden on any activist an enormous risk that could affect people's futures in a very dramatic way in the short term how would you explain that feeling that you have and and that your fellow activists have that you're willing to just do anything for this
1: i don't have much to lose of course for me personally i could try to like have a good future for now and like have a nice life until the climate crisis hits. But I feel like I have the opportunity to do and try something. I am in a democratic country where I can. So I don't want to like wait until it really hits me personally. And yeah, I feel like what future am I fighting for? Like if, The thing is, if I spend my future in prison, but I've tried everything for our entire planet to have a good future, I'm willing to take that. I'm willing to spend time in prison for that. Because that's just so much more important than my personal record. Like, of course, I'll, I'll have a criminal record, sure. I mean, maybe at some time in the future, that will be a good thing. Maybe that will be the thing that gets you the job. But <laughs> It's not fun. Like, being in custody is not fun. I've spent way too much time in custody, and I hate that I have to do that. But I just feel like, yeah, what future am I fighting for? Am I fighting for my personal trying to have as good of a life as possible under the circumstances future or am I fighting for a better future for all of us that might suck for me personally
0: and sometimes it brings you physical harm as well this I mean the pain grips that the police sometimes use they recently carried away a 15 year old in a pain grip after uh, taking them away uh, from their super glue this is painful it's difficult how do you feel about that how does your family feel about that
1: yeah it's I, I really hate pain grips. <laughs> like that's because you, you usually know that they are coming and it's like it just yeah. But still I don't want to get up. I can't just get up because they are threatening to do pain grips. Yeah, so there's there's a lot. Like this is an emotional roller coaster. It's really exhausting. We have been mm. been in action in Berlin again now for a week and it seems like three months at least. <laughs> like <laughs> it's it's really a lot. My family is mostly fine with it. My parents do support what I do here, but no one wants to see their daughter go to prison or be carried away in paint grips or in
0: handcuffs or... But explain to me how Letzte Generation, Last Generation has mobilized a group of such hardcore activists so quickly. Explain a bit about the training, the legal advice, the way it's organized. Because I see a a very media savvy group here and they're not making the mistakes that other groups have made in this space. It's not a preachy group, it's action oriented. There are very specific demands. You you go onto the website, they're immediately, okay, we've got a Zoom call every Thursday and every Sunday, join us. It's, It's all about getting people onto the streets. It's not about, here's our analysis and we've got to have this talk. That's my take as an outsider, but explain how it is from the inside and how they've managed to achieve that.
1: Yeah, I think that's just a lot of inspiration from people who are willing to risk so much. So for me, that were the people in the hunger strike. I saw the people in the hunger strike and I was like, wow, these people are actually risking everything. They risk to die for our future. And that was something that really inspired me. And I also realized we can do something because they got all the media attention. They actually managed to get the demand and have our chancellor talk to them. So I felt like we can actually achieve something. And then uh, what we do is we kind of alternate between an action phase and a mobilization phase. So of course, the mobilization also runs throughout the action phase, but not at full speed because most of us are in action. (laughs) So what we do is that the people who go into action, glue themselves to the streets, get taken into custody. They go back to their places. So I will go back to Northern Germany and there they will do the mobilization. So then we will hang posters, pass up leaflets, try to get as many people as possible to come to our talks. We have online talks at the beginning mostly because of COVID and now we have both online talks and talks in various cities. So sometimes you will just see on the website for one day, there will be like, 50 talks in different cities at the same time. And we're trying to get as many people as possible there. And then what we try to do in the talks is basically to connect emotionally to what the climate crisis means, because that's the factor that will actually get us moving, get us into action. And then we invite the people to training. You also have a maybe meeting, like an in-between step where you can go to an online meeting and just ask all your questions.
0: and Maybe uh, meeting.
1: Yeah, that's all the people who maybe want to join the
0: company. I like that. So it's a sort of last generation curious. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, then we try to get as many people as possible to come to trainings, if those once a week in every region.
0: Those trainings, they're online and offline, right? Yeah. And who's giving them? Who's involved in this? Is it people who have just figured it out by themselves or people who have been out there doing this and have got results and, and are sharing their stories?
1: Mostly, everyone just learns what needs to be done. It's kind of the spirit. Mm-hmm. So if, if someone needs to give a talk, then someone will learn to give this talk. And if um, we need someone to do a training, someone will learn how to do this training. So we have a training script that is, of course, oriented on other uh, nonviolent direct action trainings and de escalation trainings and everything. So we just had some people have a workforce and basically create our training that we want to give to people for this campaign. And then we have a training script that everyone who wants to give a training can access. And there's a lot of information on how to do it. Of course, we have done the training ourselves. So kind of know what happens in there.
0: That's literally the tactical training, what to do in order to block the roads. How about the legal stuff?
1: Yeah, we we have a basic legal training within the direct action training, where you will learn a little bit, but we also have an extra online legal training, there's also a recording of that you can watch, you can't make it live. And then we have also Q and A sessions where you can ask our legal team or someone from our legal team will answer all of your questions Mm -hmm. because sometimes we have specific cases that are not in the basic training.
0: Yeah. Which is only about six months old, right? It's kind of organized itself very, very quickly. How many people are involved so far and in in the core group and the wider membership?
1: Oh. yeah, I, I'm kind of losing the overview. So we had three people who started this campaign, like our core team, and who are still making like the most basic decisions in terms of strategy. And um yeah, but then of course at the beginning they did mostly everything else as well. So like the legal team at the beginning was one person. Um, that was actually a different person from those three. But yeah, they they did a lot. And now we have is, like basically. We already had the structure of different work groups, but they were mostly just one person and now we're just adding more people to all
0: of this group. So, And how structure... many people are we talking about, sorry, in terms of like the actual volunteers who are really mobilizing and energizing the wider membership?
1: That's a difficult question. So I think in like the strategy stuff we might have, like in all the legal stuff and all of these uh, work groups, we might have about 30 people mm. and then we have way more we're just like doing the mobilization everywhere and coordinate okay. that
0: there's an article last week in the intercept about progressive groups in the us and it explains how these groups are basically imploding because of too much internal discussion because of demands for horizontality from the wider membership but you just said that three people are making the most basic decisions. How has last generation managed that problem, which affects so many progressive groups that everybody wants to have a say? And sometimes in order to actually have action, there needs to be an element of verticality as well. How do you negotiate that tension?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a tricky part. And that's also like probably yeah, the most difficult part for some of us. We have a lot of ways to give input, so it's not like these people are making decisions and then ordering us to do anything. <laughs> like, that's not happening. We have a feedback process where we can always give back all all the feedback that we have from our group, and there are, yeah, by now there are way more people involved in the strategy than just these three. Yeah, I think we need that to be as efficient as we are, because I... I I've done some stuff with Extinction Rebellion uh, before, and it, it, when you have a certain amount of people <laughs> that want to make a decision together, it will take ages. And what we are doing mm. at the moment is blocking streets every day, so we have to like we have to be very efficient. So I think we had like nine or ten, yeah, ten blockades on one day mm. at the same time. So coordinating that is just yeah, you can only do it that with some centralization. And then basically our strategy is to say, okay, we have a team that makes the basic decisions and you kind of, you have to go along with that. If you want to join, you can of course quit at any time. You don't have to ever do anything. There's always, if you're not happy with something in action, there's always some people who are like, well, I can do support instead because I don't want Mm -hmm. to give my ID or something.
0: Do you yeah. think the fact that you're such an action-oriented group avoids a lot of those problems that plague progressive groups because there's much more action, it seems, than talk in your group or at least action plus preparing for action?
1: Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I think we are all just, all the people who are here are really like, they just want to start doing stuff. You can really mm-hmm. feel that energy. So mm-hmm. there's so many people who are just like, okay, let's just do something. And I th- I feel like all of these people don't want to k- go into a group where you have to make plans for three weeks to do one action, or mm. do, where where you feel like you're spending most of your time discussing stuff. Um, yeah, yeah they just want to get started. And mm. I think for that, this group is perfect because you can really just you can you could join in three days. You can like, go to a talk, go to a training. We had we literally had people just. Just be on the street the the next week, so...
0: And it's growing, right? As I understand it, the numbers are are increasing a lot. Okay, let me ask you something. I mean, personally, you weren't always an activist, right? You studied Buddhism and you went to Kathmandu and your family have always been into ecological issues. I mean, explain a bit about your background and what made you get active.
1: Yeah, so... I studied Buddhism in Kathmandu, Nepal. And yeah, I think my idea was always to do something on the lines of activism. Like uh, I thought about human rights in Tibet a lot. I thought I would end up there. Um, Some NGO fighting for that. But then at some point I just realized, okay, if we don't get the climate crisis under control, human rights are going to go downhill globally on a catastrophic level. So I just feel like that's the most important thing we have to deal with. And this is the one thing where I really needed, But I never thought that I would have this life. Like I never thought I would spend time in custody. I never thought I would even have any issues with the police. And now that's like my, my day to day. It's like just another day on the street, another day talking to the police, another day being in a cell. So that's kind of crazy, but I also feel like it's still the one useful thing to do at the moment. And I feel like for... before that I was very desperate, like I had this I think many of us had this feeling of just crying about the climate crisis because it feels like no yeah. one is doing anything and it's it's so bad and it's only getting worse. So now being active and at least trying everything makes me
0: feel way better. It's so and much then, of it comes down to time, doesn't it? Like the ability to to dedicate time to those trainings and then to to be there, blocking the roads. How would you respond to someone that says, look, I want to get involved, but I don't have the space or the time. And it seems like Miriam's really fortunate to be able to do this, but it doesn't work for all of us.
1: Yeah. And it doesn't have to, like if all the people who can't do it, do it. That's great. There are so many ways to help our campaign. Like you can, like just donating money, of course, but also helping in the background, like doing media work or all the support system that we have. We couldn't do this without our support system. Like that is just managing accommodations for us or food for everyone like you have a group that cooks and brings food for everyone in the evening
0: and they're just doing all that for free right i mean or, or this is based on donations that you've crowdfunded from your site
1: it really depends on how much you need if you say well i want to work full-time for you but i can't because i have to go to work then we can say okay we can basically support you enough to still do it because we need people and we will get the money from somewhere. And then we have a lot of people who just do it in their free time. And also you don't have to be the hardcore, I will go to prison person. We have some of those, and those are a force that is basically unstoppable, (laughs) like, sure. But we also have a lot of people who just come by for two days. Then you're less likely to have a criminal record. It won't be as expensive probably afterwards, Mm. but you can, some of the experience. And we also see a lot of people who do something in support and then suddenly end up on the streets. (laughs) So there's like a, (laughs) once you are involved with a campaign, a lot of people end up blocking roads at some point. Mm. Um, Yeah, but you can, you can help
0: us in so many ways. It sounds like you enjoy what you're doing, even though it's for a very serious cause. Tell me about, about the connections between people and working together.
1: Yeah, I think if there's one good thing about the climate crisis, it's probably that I've met these people because it's just, it's such an amazing group of people, people who are willing to go to jail or at least custody or like sacrifice a lot of their personal well-being to help all of us. So that's just an amazing group of people. That's like a family feeling after now we have a lot of new people and the first time I'm like, who are all of all of these people and the second time we are all hugging and just being in action together, being in those situations really connects you quickly. Yeah. So it's it's very rewarding on that. Yeah.
0: Okay. If I would like to get involved with Let's Generation, Last Generation, what are the points of contact and things that you would recommend?
1: Just go to one of our talks. That's like the first step to get to know us. We also have recordings of the talks given by different people. I think we have an entire playlist now. That's like the entry point. Of course you can also join in a different way. Some people just go straight to trainings or something. But yeah, just come to the talk to get a better idea of what we're doing and then see how you can help. And okay. if you want to be part of it.
0: And the last question for you two or three books that you could recommend for people listening, like it could be in the area that we're discussing now or, or something totally different, but two or three books that you would suggest.
1: Okay, that's an interesting question. So I think my favorite book and then one that motivates me a lot is Buddhist book. So it's uh, by Shantideva, the Bodhichaya Avatara, that kind of talks about the Bodhisattva motivation. And I don't think I'm anywhere close to that, but it's definitely an inspiration to like see how you can give up everything for others. Yeah. So that's one of my strongest motivations.
0: Okay. The title of it, I didn't get the title. It's true. It's yeah. really...
1: <laughs> Bodhicaryaya Avatara. In oh, English, the... it would be introduction to the way of the
0: Bodhisattva or something like that. Okay. Okay. Anything else that you would like to, to add?
1: Yeah, since, since this is in English, um, just to let everyone know these campaigns are everywhere. There are so many countries building these campaigns. And there is so much help so if you want to start a campaign in your country and there's no campaign already there is international exchange calls where you can hear from other countries what works what doesn't and you really only need a few dedicated people in the beginning to start mm-hmm. this and then you can grow quickly and yeah really have some impact we also have some people visiting here from other countries like a group of Czech people in action with us and some from Denmark who also want to do the same thing in their countries so don't hesitate too much. Like, the, if you feel like you have no idea how to do all of this, there's a lot of help. Like, you can you can really get get a good start um, with this international exchange.
0: Okay, thank you very much, Miriam Maya. It's been interesting talking to you, and best of luck with the protests. Thank you. You've been listening to the Subvert Podcast. I'm Mehran Khalili, and I was talking to Miriam Meyer. If you'd like to get in touch, the email address is podcast at subvert.org. That's S-U-B-V-R-T dot And the show notes are at www.subvert.org slash podcast. See you next time.